0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. So, thanks for hanging out. The What's Up webcast is something we do every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, we talk about everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks. And of course, the last episode of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, All these episodes are generally live, um, unless there's like a scheduling thing, then we pre-record some of them. But most of them are live, but they are also recorded. So if you ever want to go back, maybe you missed something, maybe you want to reference something because something we said was cool. Um, You can always go back and watch any of the episodes that we've done the entire time we've been doing this. Um, if you like what you see here, please go ahead and subscribe, leave a like on a video. It lets us know we're doing a good job and that we should keep doing it. Um, if you have ideas or any thoughts, uh, you can email us at info@skywatcherusa.com. Um, if you have an idea for an episode, we're always looking for those. Um, if you have sent one in, um, and you haven't seen that episode come up, uh, don't worry. Uh, we try to find when we can get everything in the queue It does take some time uh, to prep episodes and kind of get the schedule going. So, just because you haven't seen something doesn't mean we're not listening. Just means we haven't figured out when to do it yet. So, there you go. Now, uh, this week is our equipment talk where we take a close look at, you know, some of the equipment that we have here at the Skywatcher lineup and uh that way if you're ever looking for something uh you can take a deep dive into our lineup um we try to make sure every uh series in our offering has its own video to take a look at so uh one we haven't done yet of course is the classic uh dobsonian series now out of everything in our product line the classic series is i don't want to say it's the least exciting because it's not what i'm trying to say here but It's kind of going back to grassroots. That's really what a Dobsonian, honestly, is all about. Um, It's really John Dobson. For those of you who don't know, uh, John Dobson uh, built the first Dobsonian many, many years ago. He used it on street corners in San Francisco um, and provided views of the night sky and the moon to passerby. Um, And that's kind of where the San Francisco Sidewalk Astronomers got started um but a dobsonian is really just a newtonian telescope on a lazy susan style mount um there's not a lot uh there's not a lot of fancy stuff with it and that's kind of the goal of a dobsonian especially this day and age where you know we all want to hook up cameras and there's computers and there's filters and there's focusers and mounts that point and we have cables everywhere Um, it's really easy to jump into astronomy nowadays and get completely consumed by the equipment and kind of lose track of what you're actually trying to do, which is observe or photograph the nighttime sky. And the Dobsonian is really a design that's intended to kind of keep that nature uh, of observing as pure as possible. It's not about all the fancy equipment. It's not about taking pictures. It's about sitting there and observing, and just taking it in with something very, very simple. And our classic series is an homage to the original uh, Dobsonian design, um, it, but it gives uh, more people access to it, and that's really kind of the whole goal of this line is, like I said, to pay homage to the original one. Um, and the real... Uh, position of a dobsonian you know especially when john dobson made his telescopes was back at the time you could buy stuff from a catalog it was like the sears catalog and all these it was a lot of little refractors long focal length little refractors you know that's about where you know a four inch refractor was considered very large and very high end um so aperture wasn't really a thing you know a 16 inch scope was considered an observatory telescope and you have to go somewhere to see it and john dobson took that to a whole new level making telescopes like that more accessible to the rest of the world and bringing that to people and that's really where this era of astronomy got started it was with him um and dobsonians have given so many people their first look into the nighttime sky and giving giving people access to a serious aperture telescope to actually get some be able to look far out into space without having to you know build something and you know making it easy to to use so the classic series follows along those footsteps uh, we have uh, three in the lineup, but they do give you those larger apertures in comparison to, you know, something that you would go get off the shelf somewhere that's like a three or four inch maybe. Um, for a little bit more money, you can actually go get a real telescope that has enough aperture to where things are exciting and you can get serious about observing, but you're not going to go in and, you know, have to sell your firstborn. That's totally up to you if you want to do that. Um Uh, Skywatcher doesn't accept firstborn or organs so don't try when you're trying to buy stuff from us um paypal credit card all that normal stuff so um but the classic series is really about that um bringing it back home to like I said those grassroots um these are perfect for beginners um all the way to advanced users uh we have a lot of imagers that You know, they've got this big advanced setup, but once you hit go on your imaging setup and it's doing a sequence, what do you do? Do you stare at it? Um, Because that's boring. Um, So there's a lot of people that have a second telescope to do some observing, and that's kind of how the classics uh, are nice, because they're going to give you a, a decent selection of aperture to choose from. But they're very simplistic, and there's nothing you really have to do to them. Um, other than maybe collimate them every now and again. But they do hold collimation very well because they're a solid tube design. Uh, So let me get into kind of the general specifications of the line. And, you know, if you have any questions, I'll try to answer them, but we normally reserve questions to the end of the episode. Um, Like I said earlier, larger apertures. You know, these are not your tiny little refractors at this point. And, you know, you can get like a three-inch refractor, you know, a four inch refractor, that's all well and good. I love refractors, but generally refractors in this price point, that sub thousand dollar price point uh, is either going to be an acromat where you're going to have a longer focal length. So it's going to be longer. or and you're still going to have to have a mount to put the telescope on, or you're going to have an APO refractor that uses that exotic you know, ED glass. And you're going to get a very small aperture instrument, usually geared for astrophotography anyway. But it's going to be fairly expensive because you're paying for that high-end glass. Um, you know, if you want something that's going to be in this aperture class, a 6, 8, 10, um, or 150 millimeter, 203 millimeter, or 254 millimeter, if we're talking about the rest of the world because they got their act together... Um, that kind of aperture for under a thousand dollars is very difficult to obtain um, anything else that's going to be in this size a six inch refractor like a big six inch acromat um, those are over a thousand dollars it's on a go-to mount and you have to have a battery for it and you're going to get chromatic aberration because of the purple fringing um, an eight inch refractor is unheard of um they do exist but it is not in the price point anymore and you need a serious mount for it uh and beyond that you have like the cassegrain designs. so you have the schmidt Cassegrains, which are very easy uh compact systems very nice but um they're generally paired with a go-to mount so right off the bat for a six inch you're probably over 1200 dollars at this point and for an eight inch you're probably 15 almost to 2000 and so on and so forth so finding a telescope design for under a thousand dollars with this kind of aperture can be difficult and that's where a dobsonian really comes in handy um, because when you're just getting started and you're just getting into observing aperture is going to be your friend because it's going to be able to show you those things easier and then you kind of understand as time goes on you kind of figure out what works what doesn't does this fit my needs? Do I want to get into imaging? Blah, blah, blah. But at least it gets your foot in the door with a real telescope that's not a toy. And you can actually enjoy observing and not with some rinky-dink little thing on a crappy EQ mount that you don't know how to use. And it just ends up in the garage or the trash and you're just frustrated. So all of our telescopes, um, mainly the Newtonians, you know, anything that uses a mirror... Uh, is a borosilicate glass and has a 94% reflectivity coating. And it has a quartz overcoat on top of it to protect it. So the coatings on the telescope, including the three models that you see here, are built to last. These are not something that you really will have have to touch. And uh, coatings on a mirror will degrade over time. It just happens. Um, And it depends on the environment that the telescope is used in. But if you're in a drier environment, those mirrors can last decades and if you really really need to get the mirrors redone for whatever reason um usually a coating company will be able to do that they can strip the old coating and they can put the new coating on it's really not a very expensive process especially when the apertures that we're talking here but you shouldn't have to worry about that because the coatings that are used on the mirrors in the uh, classic series here are very, very good and they're made to last a long time, giving you those really bright, sharp, nice images. Um, we also have two inch focusers on the entire line of classics the 6, 8, and 10 all have two inch focusers. And the advantage of that is you're not going to be stuck with some rinky dink little thing. Uh, of course, we give you the inch and a quarter eyepieces, that's standard, um, and the adapters to use them. Uh, But if you ever want to upgrade at some point to, you know, a two inch eyepiece and you want to start investing in those nice eyepieces and accessories, all the telescopes in the line will be able to handle that. Um, So you really kind of have a grown up telescope right out of the box, ready to go that has grown up features about it. Um, You know, there's a lot of people out there that they'll get a smaller telescope that, God forbid, has 0.965 eyepieces or Hopefully has an inch and a quarter focuser, but at some point, you know, you are into it. Maybe you want to get that big, you know, teleview or explore scientific or whatever eyepiece. Um, And that's your first big investment into your next telescope, because honestly, investing in eyepieces is a good way to go. You want to invest in good glass because those eyepieces are going to stick with you as telescopes come and go. So the nice thing about it is with these telescopes, if you want to get that big dream 2-inch eyepiece now, you can, and you can use it, and you can enjoy it. And then if you ever want to go to that bigger telescope, you've got your eyepiece kit. You're already building that right now. It's not like you have to get a nice inch and a quarter and then if you want to move up to two inch you're kind of just hosed about that so the classic series comes with two inch focusers right out of the gate you're ready to go um it's also a really easy setup it's two pieces it's an optical tube and a base i mean that's it that's all there is and then the tension handles on the side your finder and stuff but i mean it's two basic pieces um there's not a lot of setup with it. There's no polar aligning. There's no leveling a tripod. However, you are going to want to be on some kind of level ground. Um, you don't want to you know, set up on an angle and watch your scope go down. But it's convenient. Two pieces, out the door, done. No alignment, no computers, no battery, no electronics. It's clean and simple. Uh, we also give you optical finders. Um, I'll break into the specs of all three telescopes here in a little bit but you get a real optical finder. Uh, you can get red dot elsewhere if you really like the red dot or a telrad you can always add that but an optical finder is nice especially when you're new because it's going to give you a little bit of magnification and a little bit more light grasp in your eye so if you're trying to hunt down that little fuzzy that you can't see or maybe you're not as acquainted with star hopping quite yet those optical finders are going to be able to give you more light grasp and be able to find, you know, something like the Dumbbell Nebula. So if you're in the field, you could see it. Um, So sometimes you're not able to see it. But in like an average backyard in the city, you're not going to be able to see the Dumbbell Naked Eye. But if you point in the general direction and your finder is well aligned and you know you're close, having that little bit of optical aid from the optical finder is going to be like oh there it is that little fuzz um and it lets you bring the telescope in a lot easier you can always add the red dot or a telrad later if you want to uh we use the same finder mount on all of our telescopes so you can conveniently pull that uh, finder out and put a different one on there if you want no big deal Uh, we also give you two eyepieces again. Uh, these are really basic eyepieces. They're just there to get the job done and get you going. And that's going to be a 25 and a 10 millimeter. They're inch and a quarter. They are threaded for filters. So you can put, you know, you can start using filters out of the gate with it. Um, and they are what we call a super design, which is basically a reverse Kellner. Um, they do a decent little job for what they are. Um, but you'll probably want to add to your lineup or maybe you go to something higher end in the future. But at least when you get it, you've got enough magnification to make planets interesting. And you've got low enough power to get your field of view. So, now let me break down the three models. Um, and I will uh, state up front, there are technically four models in existence. There's a 6, 8, 10, and 12 inch Um, Depending on where you are in the world, some dealers and some uh, branches of Skywatcher do sell the 12-inch or the 305-millimeter model. Um, It's called the Classic 300P. Um, We don't here in North America, and it's not included in this talk because we don't uh, offer it. It's just with a tube that big, it gets uh, real clunky, and they don't sell well. Uh, Most people end up going to... Like the flex tube the collapsible or they'll do like a truss or something like that that's more convenient at that size so just in case you're watching and you're like why didn't we talk about the 300 that's why we don't offer it and from what I've heard from the rest of the branches is they just don't sell well if you want a 12 inch go to the flex tube series Um, it's more convenient to lug it around Uh, so the smallest one is the classic 150p Um, this little guy is a six inch telescope, 150 millimeter aperture, uh, focal length is 1200 millimeters and the F ratio is F eight. Uh, again, like all of our scopes it uses that parabolic, uh, it is a, on this telescope on all of our, uh, uh, that we sell, um, they use, they use parabolic primary mirrors. There's a lot of cheaper telescopes out there that use a spherical mirror. That works, but it's not a true Dobsonian, it's not going to give you the sharpest images. Um, it's kind of a... It's an easy way around it, really. A true Newtonian telescope has a true parabolic primary mirror, um, which is an important bullet point. If you are looking uh, at your first telescope, and you want something that's quality Make sure it's a parabolic primary so it's going to give you those the best image quality possible um, for something like this. Now, the nice thing about this, you know, for a lot of people nowadays, I think they glance over a 6-inch telescope. It's like, oh, it's only 6. Uh, it's really small. Yeah, but let's compare it to something that maybe you would get, you know, off of a big store's shelf or something like that. Maybe a 3-inch, if you're lucky, that's going to be like a 4-inch basic telescope like a refractor um a four inch is still pretty hard to uh, find most of them are like 70 or 80 millimeters but in comparison to that the classic 150 with its six inch mirror is going to give you two and a quarter times more light that means you're going to be able to higher magnification on the moon higher magnification on planets which is going to open up that detail more The deep sky targets are going to be that much easier to find. And if you get a six inch telescope under a nice dark sky, you are set. You'd be able to see the entire Messier catalog, a lot of the bright NGCs. Um, You're set. That is enough aperture to really make getting into deep sky interesting. And it's enough aperture to really make planetary interesting. Also, on the advanced side of things, um, as a Newtonian or a, yeah, as a Newtonian or a Dobsonian gets faster, as this F ratio right here gets smaller, so 6, 5, 4, there are sub F4 uh, Newtonians out there now, Coma is going to become a bigger consideration. And coma is basically where the edge of the field of view kind of looks like comets. The stars aren't sharp. And there are correctors they're kind of expensive but there are correctors out there to make that you know sharp at f8 like this little guy is you don't have any problems with that at all stars are going to be pinpoint across the field of view and it's a really nice planetary uh telescope and it does great for deep sky viewing at that aperture it's a real telescope at this time Um, it doesn't weigh that much either so the tube is only 15 pounds Uh, for this little thing um it is about four feet long so I have had people get them especially with their first telescope this is like it's a lot bigger than I thought yeah but it's it's not a big deal as far as weight and they're easy to store because you can kind of put them in a corner and uh, put the tube straight up and it's easy to kind of put in there um so 15 pounds for the tube the base is 25 pounds the whole telescope is 40 pounds you could lift the whole thing up outside if you really wanted to and like i said earlier it breaks into two pieces so you're talking about 15 pounds for the tube and then the base is 25 pounds no no big deal Um, it's easy to throw out and uh, start viewing with it Um, this model has the two inch rack and pinion focuser here's a closer up look of that um, we do give you the inch and a quarter adapter. There is a two-inch adapter. Um, the reason we do that is the reason why you have extension tubes with the telescopes. If you look real close here on this, you'll see here's the inch. And a, this is the same for all of these adapters, by the way. So if you have one, here's a trick. This is two pieces. So there's the extension tube part of it, and then there's the base flange. If you look real close right there, there's threads. Those are T threads. If you wanted to start taking pictures of like the moon or planets, again, there's no tracking on these, so you're limited on what you can do with it. But if you have a Canon or Nikon or something like that, or whatever, you could get a T ring. This piece threads off, giving you a two inch T ring adapter to thread your T ring onto. And you can pop your camera directly onto the scope and you've got enough in focus to focus your camera if we didn't have these extension tubes you wouldn't have that ability because it's too far out so kind of an interesting trick that's the same with all of our newtonians they all come with that adapter so if you've got one check it out Um, we do give you a 6x30 finder just to help keep the weight down on this so it's not super nose heavy like the heavier 50mm finders Um, so we give you a 6x30 finder We give you the 25 and the 10 super eyepieces. A 25 millimeter is going to give you 48 X power, which is a nice, relaxed, wide field of view. Um, Good for galaxies and deep sky observing. Um, And then the 10 millimeter is a um, 120 power. That's enough to get planets uh, to start looking good. Um, You can see the rings of Saturn, ice caps on Mars when Mars is in the right position, uh cloud bands um all of that so it it really gives you enough magnification uh to do what you want um there was a note on that i meant to uh, go back on these adapters especially for newcomers do not stack the two adapters together there's a two inch adapter and then there's the inch and a quarter adapter and a lot of people end up having focus problems especially when they're new because they take both adapters and they stack them together Make sure you're only using one at a time. If you use an inch and a quarter, use the inch and a quarter adapter. If you have two inch eyepieces, use the two inch adapter, but don't use them together because they won't focus. So, that's with all of our Newtonians, it happens a lot. Just a FYI. Um, So, yeah, you get all the basic stuff on there you know, two eyepieces and the finder and then the adapters. You're ready to rock and roll right out of the box with these things Um, and you can always go back and add eyepieces like I said there's a 25 that comes with it that's 48 power that's actually the same for the entire line because they're all 1200 millimeter focal lengths Um, maybe look at if you got a 25 and a 10 maybe look at a 32 give you a little bit lower power a little wider field of view and maybe put something in the middle maybe something like a 17 millimeter eyepiece um, gives you kind of something in between the 25 and the 10 and then if you want more power, maybe look at something like a 6 or an 8 uh, if you're seeing is good and you want to magnify more. That's kind of how I would approach um, adding eyepieces to that. Um, also, the lowest eyepiece you can theoretically use on these is 35 millimeters. If you go below 35 millimeters, it won't hurt anything, but you the exit pupil of the eyepiece starts to get wider than your eye does and you will lose light. Um, it's not a big deal, it really isn't a big deal, but a 35 millimeter is about as low of magnification as I would go focal length wise for an eyepiece on these telescopes. Um, you could go lower, it's not gonna be the end of the world, but hey, just letting you know. The next model up is the eight inch model. Probably the most popular telescope out there is an eight inch Dob. It's big enough to where it's serious aperture, But it's not so obnoxious that it's difficult to move around and honestly it's not that much bigger footprint wise it's not any bigger than the six um so a lot of people end up going with the eight because you get a little bit more oomph actually it's a lot we'll do the math here in a minute Uh, but there's some quality things i want to point out on the eight inch as well so first off it's an eight inch telescope 203 millimeters on the primary again it's 1200 millimeters It's f5.9, which is kind of irrelevant, but at least you know. So, coma is still well controlled with this telescope. Uh, You're still getting pretty nice stars at the edge, Um, but you're just getting that much more aperture. Uh, And again, just to knock it in there, uh, same in the primary mirror. You know, it's got the really nice 94% coating. Same with the secondary, by the way. Um, But. With an 8-inch, you're now talking 78% brighter images than the 6-inch. That's a hefty jump. So the 6 is obviously a very nice jump from most of the beginner stuff that's on the market and what you would get at, like, a a big store. An 8-inch telescope, this is a real telescope at this point. It's like Crocodile Dundee. It's like, that's not a knife. Um, That's a knife. Um, So... The 150 is a nice telescope to get going with, but the, the eight inch is really where I try to recommend most people go because at this point, this is, and it's not much harder to move around, but you do get some benefits from it. So if, number one is you get 78% more light gathering power. That means planetary is going to be that much better. Deep sky objects are going to pop more, especially in a dark sky site. And if you had a 6 and an 8 inch side by side, it is noticeably different um, between that size of a telescope and an 8 inch telescope. It just has more punch. Um, But you're not really getting that much more hassle out of it. Um, The tube is only 20 pounds, so it's 5 pounds more. The base is the same pretty much. The only difference is the, the arms of the support on the base are just moved out a little bit more. So... The base is really no different it's just adjusted to handle the wider tube so you're talking about five pounds more and it still breaks down into that easy two part you got the tube and the base easy there's a lot of schools um and we have some summer camps that have a bunch of these um, and they let their students and stuff like that just roam the sky with them it's kind of cool But they went with the 8 inch because it wasn't that much more work than the 6. But you are getting a major jump as far as light gathering goes. Now, besides light gathering, you're now getting a 2 inch Crayford style focuser rather than the rack and pinions. The Crayfords are a lot smoother. They're easier to maintain focus and collimation as you move it. There's a lot less shift with a Crayford. And it's a lot more precise. So, that's kind of what... You're paying also for a much nicer focuser. You can see the finder scope on the top there is bigger. Now we're talking a 50mm finder rather than a 30 millimeter finder. So being able to spot those faint fuzzies is a lot easier. Um, and then you're of course getting the 25 and the 10mm. The magnification is the same. Uh, but it's the same with all of them. Uh, but at this point... You're, you're getting some serious stuff. The, the finder is bigger. You do get the inch and a quarter and two inch adapters um, and you get the two eyepieces ready to go um, out of the box. But uh, with this level of telescope, all the Messier catalog, one through 110, are easy with an eight inch telescope. Um, most of the NGC catalog is doable and you start to get to that point where the exotic targets like Abel planetaries. You know, dimmer uh, star clusters, a lot of that is doable in an eight inch telescope. And you're only talking about five pounds more as far as inconvenience um, when it's compared to the six inch, but you're getting a lot more punch with that bigger mirror without much more hassle um, at that point. Uh, someone was asking if you get these with right angle finders. Uh, the answer is no, um, not out of the box at least. Um, When we get these, they are actually um, they're factory sealed, and we have them set up in the the in the method that they come with. Um, So they everything they come with is sealed in the box. I can't go in, open it, change it out. Um, But you can switch it out for a right angle finder if you wanted to. It's just a real simple uh, dovetail style system, so no big deal. I'm hoping at least here in North America, we're going to be able to start offering right angle finders as an accessory here soon um we'll see we're, we're getting some stuff in order for support on accessories but um we'll see where that goes um there now the biggest one in the line at least here in north america like i said there are some divisions that sell the 300 or the 12 inch model we don't because they don't sell well um but the biggest one that we offer is the 250 this is the 10 inch model largest one that we currently sell um, you're talking 254 millimeters in the primary mirror so it's a full 10 inch aperture again it's 1200 millimeters and it's f4.7 so it's faster at this point um, you might start to see a little bit of coma out towards the edge there uh, not a big deal uh, most coma correctors are several hundred dollars, you know, three to five hundred ballpark. Uh, at 4.7, I don't find it worth the investment of getting a coma corrector uh, for one of these, especially when it costs half of what the telescope probably costs. Um, but I do have people out there using them, and it does improve the edges a little bit, but I, I really don't think at this point it's really worth that investment. I would say go... Save your money and get nice eyepieces. Um, at that point, uh, again, it uses the same uh, coatings as all of the other ones do. Now, the primaries that are in this set are the same primaries that you find in our go-to flex tubes and the standard flex tube Dobbs. It's the same mirrors, so it's not like this. It's not like we cherry pick a mirror that you know goes in a more expensive telescope. They're all made the same, and then they're they're just installed into the tube uh, when available. Now a 10 inch has 57% more light than an eight inch does. and at when you're getting to these double digit apertures, um, galaxies start to pop a lot more. The fine details you're able to see in like spiral arms. Um, you know, M42, uh, you're able to see finer details in the bright nebulas. You're probably starting to see dust bands in like the Andromeda galaxy spiral arms. Uh, When you get to a 10-inch scope, this is a serious deep-sky observing uh, aperture. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. You cannot see everything in a lifetime that a scope of this level could show you. Um, So this will keep you busy for a long time. It also is a dangerous path because it leads you down the road of aperture you get that taste of wow if this is what a 10 inch can do what can a 16 do if this is what a 16 can do what can a 25 do um i think you'll find that most people if you go to a star party most people who have the really big dobs it's like how'd you get going uh eight or ten inch dob that's where people get their feet wet it's kind of a gateway drug if you will Into the world of serious aperture telescopes. Most of us, including myself, had a 10 inch daub at one point because A, it's convenient. B, it's giving you enough aperture to really dig into the nighttime sky. And it says where you want to start. You know, a 12 inch is also nice if you can get up to a 12, but a 12, it's starting to get a lot bigger and more cumbersome. A 10 inch is still not that heavy. Um, Actually, in comparison, the optical tube here is 28 pounds and the base is still 25 so you only talk about 53 pounds total but the heaviest thing you'll lift is 28 pounds so with this scope you're getting a big chunk of glass to go deep on the nighttime sky Um, planets are phenomenal the moon is amazing with something like this um, because you have that resolution to back you up Uh, and it is a big jump from an 8 inch telescope uh, if you are looking at something of this size maybe you maybe you have a smaller telescope maybe you have a five or six inch telescope uh, the jump from a five or six inch ish catalog or catalog um, class of telescope you'd probably want to look at a ten or twelve inch as your upgrade path uh, of course you could always go bigger but to make it worth the investment and to be able to see, I, uh, a jump from say that 4 to 6 inch class you'd probably want to be looking at something like a 10 or 12 inch telescope if you have an 8 inch telescope moving up to a 10 doesn't make a whole lot of sense you'd probably see a difference a little bit like I said it's 57% different so you'd probably notice it side by side but if you're looking for groundbreaking if you have something small like a 3, 4, whatever you've got your little like toy telescope Um, up to the the intro serious telescopes, like a 5- or 6-inch telescope. Then you move up into like a 10-inch at that point. Again, this one breaks down just like the two smaller ones. It's got the base. It's got the tube. No big deal. Easy to throw up there and uh, start observing. Um, These telescopes, because they are a solid tube design, are fully collimatable. The primary and the secondary are collimatable. I do recommend if you get any daub from anybody, your first accessory should always be a nice laser collimator. Um, and I usually recommend that you invest in a good laser collimator, something like a Hotec crosshair laser. That's what I usually recommend for people in the field. They are a little bit more expensive than something you would get off of like online, like Amazon or something like that. But, um, The people who work at HoTech, David Ho, who owns HoTech, is very tight on quality and making sure that the collimator itself is aligned as well. If you get a cheap collimator, you're assuming that the laser is aligned when you get it. But if your laser is out of collimation and and you use it on your scope, your scope is screwed. Um, I've seen it happen time and time again. So getting a good laser collimator is a major investment. But it's something that will stick with you. Um, I've had the same laser collimator for 10 years. It's a, it's a Hotec uh, crosshair. And I've used it on so many telescopes, and it's always stayed true and works well. And if you ever have an issue, you can always call David, and he'll take care of you on that. So thanks, David. Um, hardware, uh, you know, these use the two inch uh, Crayford focusers, again, just like the eight inch does uh you are getting that 9 by 50 millimeter finder so a good match for this the 10 inch tube is big enough you could do it on the <clears throat> excuse me you could do it on the 8 but the 10 inch is a big enough tube where you could easily add like a telrad which is a if you don't know a telrad is a reflex finder so it's got like the red dot except the telrad has the rings on it which are very very nice uh, when I had my 10 inch job, that's what I added. It makes it really nice to get in the field and eventually you become very, very good with it to where you probably don't even need the optical finder anymore, but, um, it's an easy one, um, to go with, uh, Ernie in the chat did bring up Howie gladder collimators, uh, rest in peace, Howie, um, Howie gladder collimators are phenomenal laser collimators, um up there is probably one of the best lasers available. Um, The Hotec and the Glatter lasers, you cannot go wrong with. Uh, The Gladders have a wider variety of things you can do with them. Um, We have one here that we use uh, because it really helps dialing in a lot of different designs. Um, They are a little spendy in comparison to the Hotecs, uh, but just to talk about the howie gladder ones uh either one gladder or hotek you're good to go uh gladder has more little bells and whistles you can do but you will pay for it um and they can be a bit expensive on there but a worthy investment on either one of those uh eyepieces on this it's the same thing 25 and 10 millimeter super eyepieces it's a 25 and a 10 uh, if you wanted to expand on any one of these, I'd probably look at maybe like a 32 or 35 on the low end to give you a wider field of view. Maybe something like a 17 in the middle. And maybe something like an 8 or a 6 on the high end. In between those 4 or 5 eyepieces, you're set. And if you really felt the need to upgrade the 25 and the 10, there are plenty of excellent eyepieces out there that are in that you know category as well. But if you're just if you're just getting one of those, that's probably what I would look at. Uh, laser collimator number one. When you buy the telescope, buy a laser collimator. We do collimate these before they leave, but shipping is really rough on the telescope. So I've had people complain. They're like, I got my telescope and it was out of collimation. That's gonna happen with a Newtonian. It just does. Um, the cells are completely uh, collimatable. It's no big deal. And honestly, this is just 101 maintenance on owning a type of one of these telescopes. They are going to have to be collimated every now and again. Every time I set up mine, I throw the laser in there. Maybe I have to touch it. Maybe I don't. It's not a big deal. But if you own a Dobsonian, um, they are... uh, Hold on a sec. Uh, If you own a Dobsonian... You're going to have to collimate it at some point. So if something arrives um, out of collimation, it's not a big deal. Invest in a good laser collimator when you get the scope and learn how to collimate your telescope. And once you do that a couple times, it's not scary. You're not going to hurt anything. Don't take anything apart, but it's not a big deal. And it gets the heebie-jeebies out, and it just becomes like, anything else it's it's typical standard maintenance you're going to do on a dobsonian it doesn't matter who you get it through what size every now and again you're going to have to adjust the mirrors it's not a big deal but i understand the first couple times are a little like but get a good collimator number one if you want to add some eyepieces on these telescopes look at something like a 32 or 35 for the low maybe a 17 in the middle and maybe something like a 6 or an 8 on the high. And you'll be able to knock everything out in the nighttime sky between those five eyepieces. But the 25 and the 10 will get you started. And then, of course, it's the same uh, typical uh, accessories that are going on there. 50 millimeter finder. You've got the 2-inch, an inch, and a quarter adapters. And, of course, you've got the 25 and the 10 eyepieces. So right out of the gate, these are pretty turnkey telescopes. They're very simple. They're very straight to the point. They're designed for going out and observing the nighttime sky, and that's it. It's right to the point of what you want to do. There's no bells and whistles about them. You can add encoders to these, however. Um, I forgot to mention that. But, uh, oh, geez. Oh, man. The Nexus uh, digital encoder setup um, from, I forgot the name of the company nexus digital setting circles or what they are Um, they make a kit that works on the flex tube and the classic dobsonians if you want to have pointing assistance with one of these you can add an encoder system and they're very nice encoder systems um, because they have wi-fi on board they're expandable with the memory so you can add objects and you can just run that right to Sky Safari on your tablet. It puts a crosshair once it's aligned, and you can see exactly where you're pointing. So if you have one of these and you need or want to add that, that's a good third-party thing to uh, add to it. So if you want to learn more about them, look up the Nexus Digital Setting Circles. They have a whole kit for the Skywatcher Dob line. Um, it's very easy to install. It is. It's easier to do it when the base is new and you're assembling everything, but you can dismantle a little bit and get in there if you need to do further. Um, anyway, uh, I knew we'd kind of finish early on this one. Uh, thanks for watching on it. That's our classic uh, line of telescopes there, the 6, 8, and 10s. Uh, if you have any questions on them, you can always call us or email support at skywatcherusa.com or talk to your local dealer. Uh, if you like what you see here on the webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. If you have ideas for a future episode, email us at info at for anything involving the webcast. Um, and this is uh, our classic uh, lineup. Now, next week is for our imagers. Big episode is Understanding Power. We're going to have our friend Simon Tang on. The Stupid Astronomer is his tag on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of people imaging out there that are plugging all kinds of things into their system and we've had a lot of people that just end up blowing stuff up so um, if you really want to learn how to power your imaging setup correctly and how to pay, what to pay attention to we're going to do a whole episode about power um, so we hope that you join us uh, next week uh, for that uh, tonight if you want to hang out with me again uh we're doing another star stream virtual star party um uh tonight we're having our buddy richard wright he's a world-class imager and he's very good with the moon as well uh we're gonna hang out um uh, that's at focus astronomy's youtube page so uh join us for that uh we'd love to see you there tonight that's at 7 p.m pacific uh the sky looks phenomenal for tonight uh seeing is four out of five tonight and we're it should be good. So, um, anyway, that's, what's going on this evening. If you want to come back and join us uh, tonight, I'd be happy to see you or we'll see you next weekend. Um, and that's pretty much it for today's episode. I know there's questions out there, so why don't we jump into that? Um, someone was asking about the Nexus encoders. Let me find those real quick. Uh, Astro devices. I'm sorry. Here's their website. Uh, Astrodevices.com. Uh, Awesome set of people. Uh, I haven't talked to them in a long time because of everything that's been going on. I think it's Surge is the owner. Um, But anyway, very cool set of people. These encoders are awesome. I've seen them used on a lot of different dobs, but they have different versions. uh, But they have a whole kit, and sometimes it's a little hard finding it. But anyway, um, you can go on their, their shop here. And they have little kits there. You can see there's one for Explore Scientific. Um, different mounts. Let me find it. It looks like it's in alphabetical order. So bear with me just a second. Since we're talking Skywatcher, we're going to talk Sky... There it is right there. There you go. Skywatcher Classic and Collapsible Encoder Kit. Um, it comes with all the hardware that you're looking for. Um, very easy to install. I think the only thing you have to buy... This is just the encoder kit, so... The only thing you'd have to buy is the actual encoder setup, Um, and they make a couple different versions of the Nexus. Um, So, I'd reach out to them and uh, see tell them Kevin from Skywatcher sent you, Um, but they're definitely worth it. They're very accurate as well. They're awesome encoders. Um, Let's see. What other things are floating around in the queue here? Um, We talked about the right angle finders. You can add that separately if you want. Uh, Someone was mentioning the 16-inch for viewing occultations in 2023. Um, So several years ago, this interesting story, actually. Several years ago, uh, we had a occultation team reach out to us. And they were trying at the time to find the next target for New Horizons, um, which it's obviously gone and done and moved on at this point. But they had to confirm that target with telescopes. And they found that our... 16 inch flex tube there they go there's a bunch of them right there these are 8 inch uh, ones but they found that our telescopes the go-to ones work really well so uh, if you want to just as an endorsement i guess on how our optics work um we have a nasa team that uses our go-to Dobbs, which use the same optics in the classic to hunt down occultations and use them for different Uh, Things. It's a very interesting read on what they do. They have a bunch of 16 inch models, um, but apparently they have a bunch of 8 inch ones now, too. So that was new. Um, There's their fleet um, right there. But anyway, so people are doing all kinds of cool stuff with these Dobsonians as well. So if you want to check that out and what's going on, uh, there's also stuff in the chat there that our team's putting up there as well. So uh, hopefully that helps uh, anybody looking for stuff. Um, Are the tubes steel or aluminum? Uh, I, that's a good question. Do I have, I don't have a tube near me to check. I want to say they're steel, um, but I don't have one near me to actually check with like a magnet. They're not that heavy, um, but I, I do believe they are steel, um. Anyway, I'm sorry. I think the uh, the cells are aluminum. They're cast aluminum on the cell. But I think the actual tube itself is uh, steel. So you could put like magnetic weights on the back if you had some heavy stuff going on there. Um, the side handles also have a tension adjustment on it. So if you do need assistance uh, making the tension a little bit better, um, you can tighten the side uh, tension handles. You can kind of see them right here. These all uh, black things. Um, you can actually tighten that down So if you need more tension on heavier eyepieces as well, um, and then of course uh, the base has a handle on it and it also has an eyepiece tray to keep your eyepieces out of the dirt. Um, and then we use, uh, stuff similar to Teflon to, for the bases. So it's a nice smooth, uh, bearing motion there, uh, for that. So it's easy to kind of track and do what you need to do. Um, I don't see any more questions. Uh, if there are more, now's the time to do it. But anyway, uh, that's it for our episode this week. We are finishing a little bit early, but it's what happens when you have three telescopes to talk about. Um, if you have any further questions on any skywatcher product, please reach out to us or your local distributor, wherever you are in the world. Um, uh, we do appreciate you watching and hanging out with us. Hopefully, I'll see some of you tonight as we go explore the the nighttime sky. We got a bunch of cool targets, over a dozen targets to pick and uh, pick from tonight. So that happens at seven o'clock at the Focus Astronomy YouTube channel. Um, and of course, we'll be using the big Skywatcher remote setup um, out there. And uh, yeah, other than that. Please have a safe weekend. Uh, I hope to see you guys next week when we talk power with Simon. That's going to be a big episode for any imager. I highly recommend you come back for that episode. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys hopefully under a clear sky very soon. So clear skies, safe weekend, and see you guys next Friday. See ya. Bye.